Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And we also welcome you to part two in our discussion on the Enneagram. On this episode, we are covering the Enneagram numbers two through seven. And we're also talking about the healing messages that God has for each of the numbers. We are confident you will find this information helpful as you continue to follow Jesus. Without any further delays, let's continue the conversation about the Enneagram. We've just finished one slice of the pie, the gut triad, eight, nine, and one. We're now entering the heart triad, two, three, and the four. So let's start with the two. The two, yeah, the helper. Warm, caring, and giving. They're motivated by a need to be loved and needed and to avoid acknowledging their own needs. So obviously everything in the heart triad is driven by feelings. And then normally we also talk about people in the heart triad dealing with struggling with shame. And so twos focus outwardly on the feelings of others to avoid focusing on what's going on in themselves. Yeah, at their best, they're unselfish, altruistic, and they have unconditional love for others at their best. But they have to be careful because their biggest fear that underlies everything is the fear of being unwanted, unworthy of being loved, which that's also their greatest desire is to feel loved, right? And so the key motivator for a two is to want to be loved, to express their feelings for others so that they can be needed and appreciated. And that's why a lot of the helping, if they're not careful, can come from a place of wanting people to respond to them and vindicate their claims about themselves. Yeah, they get their identity, their sense of security out of helping and acting like they don't need help themselves. Because they don't express their needs, they can often get angry with people just because they didn't meet their needs the same way that they do for others. There can be an underlying feeling of, well, because I met your needs without you asking for it, then you should be able to do the same thing back for me which is a dangerous trap to get into. Yeah. Something God has shown me in the last few years, right, is to hold to him and nothing else. Jesus says God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And that is the clearest picture of God's unconditional love. It isn't dependent on who we are, whether or not God blesses us. It is dependent on who he is. He's always pouring out his blessings unconditionally on us, whether or not we respond in kind. And so if we learn to hold to him and nothing else, he who is always meeting us right where we are and loving us right where we are and accepting us right where we are, out of that overflow we can invest in other people without a need to get anything back from them or have them be appreciative or act in a certain way based on what we've given them and what our expectations are. That is the picture of unconditional love. And when a, when a two is coming to God and allowing God to be the one who gives them everything they need, and when they come to hold to him and nothing else, they're the best of us in living out of unconditional love. But the opposite is also true, just like every number. When they're in a place of unhealth, it's the opposite. Everything they do is motivated by what they're going to get in return. Yeah, I always laugh because twos and nines, 
outwardly look a lot like each other. We do the same thing, but for different motivations. And heaven forbid you have a two and a nine trying to decide where to go to lunch because both want to meet the other's needs, but for very different reasons. So when we talked about the gut triad, the gut triad is also known as the anger triad. One number expresses the anger, one number suppresses the anger, and one number internalizes it. So Mm -hmm. what's the two when it comes to emotions? Yeah, so they externalize. So they focus outward, meeting others' needs to avoid dealing with their own. And that can be hard, can it? When you get so tangled in what other people are feeling, you get confused between what another person's emotions are and what yours are. That's entanglement, right? You're so tangled up. It's like a circle sitting on top of another circle. They look like there's only one circle there when there's actually two. They're so entangled. And that's the thing with the two. They're very good at being empathetic and feeling what other people feel, that they can get so tangled up in other people's feelings that they don't know what emotions are theirs and what are the other person's. Yeah, not to mention, since they're not acknowledging their own needs, they are often exhausted, which then leads to more anger and more frustration about their needs not being met because they can't verbalize their needs because that would be selfish. So they, they get stuck in a loop of giving and giving and giving away for not necessarily the right reasons and then getting more and more frustrated as they find themselves with a lower and lower and more empty tank because the needs that they have are being ignored and pushed aside. How about the three? Yeah, so also known as the performer or the achiever depending on which source you're going for. So the performer, success-oriented, image-conscious, and wired for productivity. They're motivated by a need to be, or at least appear to be, successful and to avoid failure. They are the ones that suppress their feelings. It can be extremely hard for a three to tell you what they're feeling because they are not aware because they keep suppressing it and pushing it down and pushing it down which is really fun when they're unhealthy and everyone knows they're upset or hurting except for them (laughs) so at their best they're self-accepting authentic they seem to be role models who inspire others they get stuff done that's for sure yeah which is great this is where the one And the three can look alike. They can seem to be pretty perfectionistic. But for the one, it's the motivator is they really do hate imperfection. With the three, it's that their fear is being seen as something other than valuable. Because their fear is of being worthless. The three is the one that says, if you really knew the real me, you wouldn't want anything to do with me, right? So their basic desire is to feel valuable and worthwhile. And so they, they see doing things, not necessarily for people like the helper, but just achieving, looking successful and looking like they have it all together will cause people to love them. Yeah, because they really do tend to look like they have it all together. But what we haven't talked about, which is all these numbers 
part of why they're so fluid is you have a number you go to when you're healthy and a number you go to when you're unhealthy. And those poor threes, they go to, to my nine in unhealth. So suppression again. Yeah, uh, threes, nines, and sixes kind of got stuck on the suppression train. Either way you look at it, and we move between each other. There are these levels of health to unhealth that, you know, that we can talk about at another time. Um, yeah. The Enneagram Institute does cover that. Each number has levels one through nine. Nine being what that number looks like at the healthiest and, and one being what that number looks like at its unhealthiest. And I think that's very fascinating and also very helpful for us. Okay, so the last number in the heart triad in this slice of the pie is the four. Ah, the four. Also known as the romantic. Uh, Creative, sensitive, and moody. They are motivated by a need to be understood. To experience their oversized feelings and avoid being ordinary. So while the the twos focus all their feelings and emotions outwards towards others and the threes suppress it, fours are the ones they feel it all, all of the time, and there pretty much is no off switch. And they express it. And they express it. (laughs) They can be very much inward focused. Where the other two can be a bit more outward focused and focused towards others. The fours get a little more inward directed in their attention to their emotions. They can also be called the individualist because they're very centered on being unique, right? Yeah, one thing to note about the four, despite their desire to be unique, or maybe because of it, is that they also feel that there's something intrinsically missing within them that everyone else has that they don't. And so that's part of their pursuit of being an individual is trying to recover what they feel like they're missing from their life. So at their best, they are inspired and highly creative people. They're able to renew themselves and transform their experiences, which is interesting, you know, that uniqueness is a big thing, right? Their key motivator, as you said, is to express themselves in their individuality. They protect their own self-image and also take care of their emotional needs before attending to anything else. They really do focus in on their own emotional needs. They can be very inward-focused in that way. And their basic fear is that they don't have an identity or a personal significance, which they tie to each other, right? So they are very focused on being uniquely them. That's why the other word for beyond romantic is individualist. One of the big problems a four has to be careful of, like all of us, greatest strengths are the greatest Mm -hmm. weaknesses. Greatest strengths for a four is they are honest. They are one of the most honest numbers about themselves. They are very self-aware of what's going on, very honest about what they're feeling, And that's also their greatest weakness because they feel like, and I mean, it is a strength too, that they feel everything. And that's good. Like other numbers suppress it. They don't. They feel it. But the weak side of that, and there's always a dark side for every strength has its weakness. And their weakness is that they are what they're feeling. Whatever that feeling is, that's them. What they feel is who they are. Yeah. 
And that's dangerous because our feelings are not always telling us the truth. Right. And our feelings change, which is part of not telling us the truth because we can feel something in a moment and feel something completely different in another moment, which is the case for four. They're the ones that feel more emotions in an hour than most people feel in a week or a day, you know? Yeah. So, okay, we have wrapped up the first two triads. The gut triad, eight, nine, and one. The heart triad, the two, three, and the four. The last triad is the head triad or the fear triad, Mm -hmm. which is the five, six, and seven. The five, the investigator. Analytical, detached, and private. They are motivated by a need to gain knowledge conserve energy, and avoid relying on others. So all the numbers in the head triad are driven by fear. So fives are the ones that externalize their fear. The outward world is a bit scary for them. So what can they do to kind of bring it under their control and keep things under wraps? Yeah, and which really goes to their basic fears, being useless, helpless, or incapable. You know, the external world, as you said, is dangerous. So their fear is of being incapable of dealing with it, having the resources. The resources, not necessarily financially, but also energy Mm. and solutions. You know, having the solutions to problems. Um, Having whatever it is that they need to, uh, to deal with the external world. Even people. So that's their basic fear and their basic desires to be capable and competent. Their key motivation is to possess knowledge, to understand the environment, to have everything figured out as a way of defending themselves from the threats from the environment. At their best, they are visionary pioneers, often ahead of their time and able to see the world in an entirely new way. Like on the strengths finder, I don't think there's a five out there who doesn't have input as one of their top five. They are always looking to receive more information, more input. More than any other type, fives want to find out why things are the way they are. That's why they're called the investigator. Yeah, they're good at research. They're good at investigating things and asking questions to the point where a lot of the times... They're not comfortable with people asking them questions again because then that's a risk of giving information that might actually put them in a risky situation where they feel exposed and not able to deal with it. So information is the greatest resource. And if they give away information, they may make somebody more competent than themselves and therefore in a dangerous world, they have to have the leg up on all the competition. There's almost a scarcity mentality that they struggle with. That's a great way of saying it. That's exactly where they go. Yeah, that there's not enough. Whatever it is that they have is just not enough. So how are they ever satisfied? Unless they start bringing it to God Mm -hmm. in the middle of that. Because God definitely does not work out of a scarcity model or a mentality. He makes it very clear that he gives us abundantly more than we could ever ask or hope for. So how could we ever be lacking with him? I mean, without him, that poor in spirit thing is most definitely true. We lack a lot. But since we're never without him, since he gave himself fully to us, then the idea of scarcity is not accurate thinking. 
But it's a big challenge for a lot of us, not just fives either. We think, oh, well, yeah, he provided all these other times, but he's not going to provide right now when there's $8 in the bank account and 10 days until payday. But he's provided all those other times, but we still get stuck in that this might be the time that he doesn't provide what we need. That's certainly a trap for the five to think that they give away stuff and somehow there won't be enough left for them at the end. There's that song, You've Never Failed Me. And you won't start now. Yeah, there's also a house fire song called I'll Give Thanks. And then the bridge is essentially God, like you've never failed. So why do I keep going into this mentality? But we're convinced somehow that there's going to be a time where he doesn't. Mm. All right, I'm going to, I want us to skip the six for a moment. And there's a reason why. Let's go to the seven. Uh-huh. The seven is the opposite of the five. Here in the fear triad, the fives are afraid of the external world. The sevens are actually afraid of the internal world and go external to find all their fun so they can ignore the internal world. Yep. The seven is the suppressor of their fear and the internal stuff. So the seven, the enthusiast. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty accurate statement as I sit across from a seven. Yes, you do. Yeah, so the seven, the enthusiast. Fun, spontaneous, and adventurous. They are motivated by a need to be happy, plan stimulating experiences, and to avoid pain. So the basic fear is of of being deprived and in pain, as you said. Their basic desire is to be satisfied and content to have their needs fulfilled. Also, they want to maintain their freedom Their happiness to avoid missing out. The FOMO, fear of missing out, that describes a 7 to a T. Sometimes that's where the choice paralysis comes in because they don't want to miss anything. They want all the choices, but then they can't decide. And when I say they, I mean me. All right. So their whole goal is, you know, to to avoid missing out on worthwhile experiences, to keep themselves excited and occupied because they want to avoid pain. Yeah, that fear of missing out, man, some of the fun ways that shows up. Overscheduling, if you do say yes, do you say yes to too many things? Right, fear of missing out. Right, and doesn't mean those things are bad, but recognizing that even a seven with their seemingly energizer bunny status of so much energy, they're finite still. True. And so they can wind up, because they're so focused on the future and the plans and all the fun things, they can struggle to be present in the moment. Yes, absolutely. That is the biggest issue. What we do is we're always anticipating the future experiences. So even when we're having what we thought would be a good time now, we go right to anticipating and thinking and planning the next thing so we're not fully present to enjoy where we are. That is why God really invited me to be present to his presence in the present. You know, that's the way I say it all the time, which makes total sense to me. And there's so much peace in that, to be present, to be practicing his presence and be mindful of who he is to me in each moment and where he is. Some of the spiritual practices that work for me really well in that is spending a lot of time in listening prayer. Why we do so many episodes about listening prayer is because that's 
that's how I practice presence, is asking God questions and then listening and being still. Yeah. Sometimes for hours in a day. And just listening and journaling what he's telling me. Because doing that proactively helps me then practice that reactively throughout the day. It's just like muscle memory in sports. You practice, practice, practice on the practice field so that in the game it's so ingrained you just do it automatically. That's why prayer and scripture reading, practicing those things in the way that God has invited us to practice them. And there's very different ways just like I was talking about. But to practice those things in the season that God has given us proactively then helps us build muscle memory so we reactively live that out throughout the day. And it's always fun for me to listen to you talk about this stuff because, I mean, the main reason a seven is so busy is to avoid being still, is because when you're still, then you have to become aware and face all the things you spent all that energy running from in the first place. Right, the pain. Yeah. The, the discomfort, the insecurities. Let's face it, sevens don't have a monopoly on running from pain no by no. any stretch no but we make it an art form oh yeah i know it's pretty which is really a miracle in itself that the guy who is doing a show like this is an enneagram seven once again proving how god works with a seven and a nine the two numbers that are really good at running and hiding and not being aware for God to invite them into this journey where you can't do this podcast and not be aware. Well, I mean, you could, I guess. doesn't work well for me. doesn't work well for anyone, really. <laughs> Obviously, there's God right there in the midst of this. Yeah, at their best, though, um, a seven focus their talents on worthwhile goals, becoming appreciative, joyous, and satisfied, content, present. So, there's a seven. Now we go back one number, and here's the reason why I was holding the, the six for last. Because the six has a special talent, uh, and not in a good way, <laughs> that we needed to talk about, but we needed to do that in reflection of the five and the seven. Where the five is afraid of the external world, and so they go internal, and the seven doesn't trust the internal, their, their capability of dealing with the internal world, so they go external. The six is in an unenviable position that they don't trust the external or the internal. They're probably the most neurotic number out there (laughs) for sixes, and I'm married to one. So I know a lot about this issue. Sixes, again, though, there's a lot of strengths to them, so let's just get into it and talk about the six. The loyalist, committed, practical, and witty, They are worst-case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security. Ironically, despite not trusting either the external or the internal world, they are internalizers. They direct all their fear inward first, which sounds exhausting, and I do occasionally get to experience the fun thing of that, because nines go, when nines are being unhealthy, they look a heck of a lot like sixes. Yeah, I mean... I started off with some pretty negative things about the six, but there's a lot of great qualities. Um, They are problem solvers. They're afraid of the future, of what's coming. Like sevens, we look at the future in an optimistic way, right? 
But sixes look at the future and just see, you know, a huge ball of crap rolling downhill towards us. So they are going to prepare. When I was diagnosed with this this disease that I struggle with, inclusion body myositis that's destroying the muscles in my legs, arms, and throat, when the doctors first said, we think you have a myopathy, but there are so many different kinds of muscle diseases out there, myopathies, that we don't want you to go research this because there's some really scary ones. And so let us do more tests before you do that. Well, my wife was like, no way. She said stronger words than that. But she's like, there's no way I'm listening to that because for her, the research is what comforts her. To be prepared for what's coming is actually what calms her down. To not know what's coming and not be prepared for what's coming will keep her fearful. So for sixes, preparation, knowing what's coming, facing what's coming, and preparing. So a six's basic fear is that they are going to be without support or guidance. Their basic desire, therefore, is to have security and support. Security is huge for a six. That's their key motivation. They do everything to feel secure, to feel supported by others, to have certainty about their security, to be reassured that everything's going to be all right. A big part of their key motivation is to fight against anxiety and insecurity. And they do that by testing everything, including other people and their attitudes towards them, and even testing their own thinking and feelings. They really don't trust themselves or anyone else. And yet they tend to lean into authority, structural authority. But even then, they push back and test it. Again, there's, there's that neuroses that governs the sixes, especially when they're on, in unhealth. But at their best, they're internally stable and self-reliant, courageously fighting for themselves and others. They are called the loyalist for a reason. Yes, why I cannot. Yeah, that's the greatest strength. How could I forget that? That's that's true of my wife. Like when we were moving from Las Vegas to here on the central coast of California, the women in the in the church community where we were serving and committed wanted to do something for my wife. And one of the things they wanted to create was something that had a word that really described her. And they asked me, if you could use one word to describe your wife, what would it be? And I said, loyal, without hesitation. I trust her completely. Her loyalty is beyond question. Yeah, I've certainly gotten to experience that too. Obviously for a much shorter space of time, but for a number that can feel unseen and unheard and definitely generally views the world as unsafe, which is just my six and unhealth kicking in. You know, there's a lot of of trust there because she's already shown, hey, if you're here and you've proven that you're sticking around, then there's nothing she won't do to help you, to fight for you, like harder than you're fighting for yourself, maybe even which can occasionally lead to a frustrated six who's sitting there going, I gave you the solutions to what you need to do. I don't want to nag you and be your mother, but I see this problem you have and this area that you're struggling with and you're not preparing yourself to do what it takes to fight that thing. 
I think you hit on something there, Kim, and that is the practicality of the six. That's a huge strength. Mm-hmm. They are so practical. And that is a good thing because there's a lot of numbers that are idealistic. And the six is the one, like the three, that get crap done. That is valuable. And it can be a weakness like anything else, but it's a great strength. And for all of that neuroses, the practicality of what they bring is powerful. Yeah, where I move to six when I'm being unhealthy, a six moves to the healthy side of nine, where they learn to be at peace in the world and let go of some of that control and the need to plan for every single thing that could go wrong in the future. And that's that invitation from God to go, okay, I see this anxiety and I see this fear, and now will I give it to God and let him prove to me that he is who he says he is? And release that fear and anxiety to the only one who's capable of holding it on his shoulders in the first place. Right. So how does someone go about determining what their Enneagram number is? Yeah. I mean, there are online tests. I know both of us generally agree with this basic philosophy. Don't do them because the problem with the online tests is they look at the outward actions more than the inward motivations, which is not the same thing. And because with the Enneagram, as we already talked about, different numbers can do the same thing for very different reasons. Twos and nines tend to look a lot alike. The truth is, depending on your shade of your number, you can look like a few different things. And hey, when I took the test, I tested as a four. So there you go. Yeah. What do you do to help people know what or help them discover what number they are because this might be helpful for other people to do even on their own yeah so um, we've already mentioned his book in morgan cron's book the road back to you it's a great primer one of the things i love about it and i'm assuming is one of the things you loved about it or you wouldn't have brought it in the beginning of each chapter describing each number there are 20 statements that say, I am, or I feel, or I do. And so you go through that checklist. And ideally, if you're doing it for yourself, it's important to be really honest with yourself, even if it's uncomfortable. Because there can be a tendency to go, oh, I don't want to be that number. And then there can be that temptation to not be honest and answer the questions honestly. It's why I like doing lists with people. I find it fun. And I normally use a piece of paper to check off how many statements... 15 or above, it's most likely your number. (laughs) But I also had someone who checked off like 16 or 17 on like four different numbers. I've had people who were checking low on everything. That's the point of this is to come into a deeper relationship with God. So invite him into every step of this journey of discovering your number. Let him lead it. Let him show you who you are and what you go to rather than him. What is your number? What what are the weaknesses of your number? What are the strengths? And what do you turn to in that number rather than him? Let him in and let him guide you into the healthiest version of you you can be. And one of the ways God helps us with that is he has a healing message for every number. So, Kim, would you mind reading the healing messages for each number? And since we did them starting with the eights, would you give the eight their healing message? 
All right, the healing message eights need to know, believe, and feel is this. There are lots of trustworthy people in the world, and though the risk of betrayal is real, love and connection will forever elude them unless they welcome and reconnect to the innocent, less defended child they once were. Yes, betrayal is exquisitely painful, but it doesn't happen as often as eights fear it does. And if or when it does, they'll be strong enough to survive it. How about the healing message for the nine? Yeah, the healing message nines need to hear is, we see you and your life matters. God didn't invite you to this party to live someone else's life. We need you here. Okay, how about the healing message for the one? You're imperfect and you're wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. What's the healing message for the twos? You're wanted. Twos needs matter. And they can begin now to learn how to directly express their real feelings and desires without undue fear of humiliation or rejection. How about the three? What's that healing message for them? You are loved just for who you are. How about the healing message for the fours? We see you. You're beautiful. Don't be ashamed. Now we're in the fear triad. What's the healing message for the fives? Uh, The healing message for the fives. Your needs are not a problem. You don't need to protect yourself from being overwhelmed or depleted. You have abundant resources available to you. Abundance mentality, as we talked about. How about the healing message for the sixes? The healing message for the six is that they are ultimately safe. This doesn't mean they're magically protected from danger or disaster. Just that from an internal perspective, this story ends well. And last, but definitely not least... What's the healing message for Enneagram 7s like me? God will take care of you. I know it's easier said than done. It will take courage, determination, honesty, and help to confront the painful memories and stay with the feelings as they arise. But if you do, then you'll grow the deep heart and become a truly integrated person that you were meant to be. Awesome. It's good stuff. Before we close out, I want to just point out If you're asking the question, how do I live trusting this healing message? How do I grow into trusting in this healing message and therefore live from it? The end of each chapter on one of the nine numbers in The Road Back to You has steps to help you grow in health. And also for those who are interested in maybe learning more about your number, especially if you're having a hard time identifying your number. Ian Morgan Cron also has a a podcast called Typology, Mm -hmm. where he interviews people of different Enneagram numbers. You can find some of the ones where he's interviewing people of a number that you might suspect you are, or at least if you have a few, and listen to those. They're quite interesting. The core of this is, is you have to bring it to God. All the other resources in the world aren't going to help if you're just using them to replace the place that he is supposed to have in this journey. And don't get frustrated in the middle of it. He's not impatient with us. What right do we have to be impatient with ourselves if he's not impatient with us? It's a journey, and checking into this is just the first step. So on that note, Kurt, if you want to pray for those listening. Yes, I would love to. Yeah, thank you that you are infinite love. 
where we are all imperfect, we're all incomplete, because we're all finite. And it is not something to be ashamed of. It is the very thing that uh, is a gift in itself, an invitation to come to you and receive the fullness of your completeness, your complete patience, so that we never have to be impatient with ourselves because you aren't, as Kim said, your infinite love, your infinite kindness, your infinite joy, your infinite celebration over us. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed this clearly by using the terminology of a wedding feast as the description of heaven, that we are always celebrated because that is your atmosphere, the fullness of who you are, the atmosphere of heaven, and you are heaven. So God, thank you that whatever number we are, there are flaws, and there are issues, and there are weaknesses, and there are things we lean into rather than you. But the essence of this is that you are celebrating over every one of us because that is who you are. So I bless everyone listening with the courage to go on the journey to discover more of who they are. So in that process, they can understand who you are because you made them the way they are. I bless them with an acceptance, a growing acceptance and pursuit of who they are to see that you are meeting them right where they are. I bless them with your acceptance, your love. I bless them with a greater openness, courage, and awareness to just run after you and seek you out to understand who they are. I bless them with divine illumination, divine revelation, courage, strength, and peace. Growing integrity and wholeness in this discovery process. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Anytime. Apparently we're in this for the long haul. We are. And we invite all those who are listening with us to be in it for the long haul as well. We love you and we're thankful for you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. And if you're curious to know more about us and what we offer, we are part of a larger organization called Elevate Slow, which is a disciple-making movement intent on seeing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us planted in every culture around the world. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, elevateslow.com. That's elevateslo.com. And as always, please remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.